We're going to be studying our Bibles today in two different places and kind of flipping back and forth. So if you would like to follow along, that will be in Romans chapter 5 and 6, which is found on page 1298 in the Pew Bibles, if you want to use that. And then we're going to be looking in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, starting at verse 20, and that's found on page 1,324 in the Pew Bibles, if you wanted to follow with that one as well. And we'll be kind of, kind of flipping back and forth between those two. Let's pray and ask God to help us to really grasp the message of his word today. Father in heaven, we pray and ask that you would lead us, you would direct us, you would guide us, you would feed us, you would open our eyes, you would help us to grasp the wonder and gravity and mystery and triumph that you have offered us and given us in Jesus. Help us now, we pray. Please be with us. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Of course, as if you've been following the news, you know that for the last several weeks, many weeks, Russia has invaded the Ukraine. And, uh, and I was listening to an interview of a father there in the Ukraine, and they were asking him about him and his fighting. And he said that I'm fighting because I don't want my children to grow up being Russians. I'm fighting so that we are not made, the, the Ukraine is no longer Russia. I mean, it's no longer the Ukraine, but it's Russia. I don't want my children growing up in, 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 that, in, in that environment and such. And, uh, and in many ways, the Ukraine, uh, several months ago, was its own independent, sovereign country. And now the Ukraine has been attacked by an outside country that is, wants to impose its will upon that. And so you could say the reign of Russia now is now trying to take over Ukraine. And if Russia has its will then the Ukraine will no longer be directed by Kiev. It will be directed by Moscow. And people will be under the rule and realm and reign, as it were, of Russia itself. And the Ukrainians don't want that. They don't want to live like that, and, and you can understand that. And uh, in many ways, we were born in just such a situation. We were born under the realm and reign of death. We were born under the realm and reign of sin. We were actually born under the realm and reign of Satan. And that is what the Bible clearly teaches. And it all began with Adam. If you have your Bibles open at Romans chapter 5, look at verse 12. It says this, Therefore, just as through one man, just as through one man, um, sin entered the world, that one man there is Adam, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Now notice here, because of Adam, sin entered the world, and sin brings with it death, and death entered into the world. And the way the Bible describes this is, is that we're under the reign, the rulership, the lordship of sin and death. Notice that in the scriptures. Notice this idea of reigning, this idea of rulership or being enslaved. Notice it in the passage you have open before you. For instance, look at verse 14. It says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. There's the reign of death. Look at verse 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one. There's the reign of death. 
Look at verse 21. So that, the, so that as sin reigned in death. There is the reign of sin and death. And notice that, that the, the result of that is, is that all of Adam's children bo were born under this reign, were born under this lordship of sin, you could put it that way, and death, and therefore we become the slaves of sin. And that's a very key part of this text, the slavery of sin and deliverance from that slavery. But notice how that idea of the slavery of sin is brought up. Look at chapter 6 and verse 6. At the very bottom, it talks about slaves of sin. We shall no longer be the slaves of sin. That means we were the slaves of sin. Look at verse 9. It says this, death will no longer has dominion over him. Death did at one time have dominion. There's this idea of the dominion of death. Look at verse 12. Let not sin reign. There's the reign of sin. Look at verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion. There's that dominion of sin. Look at verse 17. Slaves of sin. Look at verse 20. Slaves of sin. Look at verse 22. Set free from sin. And so you get this idea that we were born under the realm and the rulership of death, the realm and rulership of sin, the realm even in rulership of Satan himself. He's called the ruler of this world, Jesus calls him. He's called the, the prince of the power of the air at, that, that is at work. The Bible talks about that when we're saved, we're rescued from the kingdom, the power of the kingdom of darkness. We're rescued from that power. And so we are under, we were born under the reign of death, the reign of death. Now, we don't like to talk about this. In fact, in our culture, we try to deny this as much as possible. Don't even think about it. Don't even talk about it. And if you start talking about it, people are like, you're such a bummer, man. Why are you always talking about death? But we, because we like to believe that we're in charge. We like to believe that we're powerful. We like to believe that we're in control. We're impressed with ourselves. We're impressed with our technology and what we can do. We're impressed with our intelligence, how wise and smart we are. We're impressed with our money, how much wealth we have. And we have this can-do attitude. You give us a challenge and we can do it. Get to the moon, we're going to do that. Go send a, a, a spaceship to Mars, we can do that. Uh, fix problems, we can do that. Cure diseases, we can do that. We have this, this can-do attitude. But we are absolutely powerless when it comes to the dominion of death. Absolutely powerless. Death is king. Death is king. We fight him. We fight him. We exercise. We exercise. We diet. We try to stop habits that we think are going to contribute to our death. We spend millions and millions of dollars on research to overcome diseases. We have the best minds at work at this. We spend huge grants. We have the top technology trying to stop diseases. We seatbelt in. We put smoke alarms in our houses. We wear life jackets on our boats. We even have life jackets under the seat of our plane, which is like, seriously? Um, we try to hold off death. We have drugs. We have therapies. We have radiation. We have chemo. We try to hold off death. And sometimes we can hold it off, it seems like. Sometimes we can control the pain. Sometimes we can even heal individual diseases. But we always lose when it comes to death. Death always wins. Death is so mighty, so great, so powerful. I Googled this uh, week. How many people is estimated 
to have lived in the history of humankind. How many people have lived? And I think the number was dead wrong, but I'm just going to throw it out there anyway. Um, several of the websites that I looked at that were trying to estimate this stuff uh, came up with about 108 billion people. I think it's way too high, but 108 billion people. Now, there's about 7 or 8 billion people alive right now on the earth, so that means that 100 billion people have died. 100 billion people. Death has taken every single one of those people. Everybody is dead. And death is a horrible, horrible master. He's horrible. We die by disease. And the disease eat us and eat us and take away our life. We die by violence. And people do things to us and hurt us or accidents come upon us. We die with pain. We die with anguish. We die with fears. Our bodies get ugly and ugly, and then finally we die. A person dies, and, and, and they become vacant. It's like they're there one minute, and then they're just like gone. And all of a sudden, the corpse becomes like scary. And then it begins to decay. And then it begins to rot. And then it turns to dust. It's as if death holds it in its hand like this, and, just, and it becomes rotten. And then it becomes decayed. And then it, then, it, then it becomes dust. And then it's gone. And death has had another victory. Death has won. Death is a hundred billion. The, the score of death, the, the, the ranking of death is a hundred billion to zero. Jesus was even killed by death. A hundred billion to zero. Death kills everyone. There's nothing we can do about it. And if the race of Adam is just left to itself, there's nothing we can do about it. See, we've been brought under this reign by Adam. By Adam's disobedience, by Adam's rebellion, by Adam's, even going against all warning, you eat of that fruit, you will die. He ate of the fruit and he died. Adam sinned, man sinned, man rebelled. Man, Adam, brought us into this sentence of death. The angels can't die for man. We can't die for angels. They can't die for us. If anybody's going to fix this, man is going to fix this. So in one sense, the score is 100 billion to zero. Death always wins. But in another sense, it's actually 100 billion to one. One person has defeated death. And that's the very Son of God. You see, God sent his Son into the world as the second Adam. You see, we need to understand something about Adam. Adam is a very important symbolic figure. Look at verse 14 of chapter 5. It says this, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Now notice this next phrase. Who is a type... A, a model, as it were, a foreshadowing, who is a type of him who was to come. He was a type of him who was to come. If you've ever seen an architectural model, and they say, this is the skyscraper that you're going to build, and here's the architectural model, that's a type of the actual skyscraper when it's done. Adam is a type. Adam represents something very unique in the history of man. He is a type. 
In fact, there's a very interesting verse in Luke chapter 3. In Luke chapter 3, Luke is giving the genealogy of Jesus. And he gives it to us backwards, as it were. It starts with, with uh, Jesus' parents, with Mary, really. And it brings us back. And this in, in Luke 3, 38, look at how it says. It says, it's, it's going backwards. The son of Enosh, that was in the other verse. Enosh is the son of Seth. Seth is the son of Adam. And notice what it says, Adam, the son of God. Now, you'll notice on that on your screen, well, maybe you can notice it, the, the, son, the, the word the son is italicized because that actually doesn't appear in the original language. The original language just simply says of Enosh, of Seth, of Adam, of God. But the idea there is, is that Adam is a unique role in that Adam didn't have parents. Adam didn't have parents. Seth's parents were Adam and Eve. Adam didn't have parents. God directly formed and made Adam. And so in that sense, Adam is of God. Adam was, was unique in that sense. He's the type of one who is to come. And so in that sense, he's a type of the Son of God. But look at John 3.16. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave, now notice this, his only begotten Son, when the true Adam comes, when the real Adam comes, as it were, when the second Adam, the last Adam comes, he is the only begotten son. And, and he is uh, that, that whoever believes in him should not perish and have everlasting life. God sent his only begotten son into the world. And what Jesus does is he enters into the realm of death. He enters into the realm and reign of sin. He enters into the realm and reign of Satan. He enters in. He comes from outside this realm and he enters into this realm. But because man has sinned and because man is dying and because man must get, as it were, man must be, the, the, the solution must come from man, Jesus enters in. The very Son of God enters under the realm and reign of sin and death. And he's born of a virgin is an absolutely miraculous birth. He's born of a virgin. He takes on humanity. And so now he is a man. He has humanity. He has Adam humanity in that sense. And yet in one sense, he's not from Adam because he was, he was miraculously conceived of a virgin. But he enters into this reign and realm of sin and death. In Galatians chapter four, it says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. There's the idea that Jesus came into this realm. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says this, But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. So here's this idea that Jesus comes down, he's made a little lower than the angels, he becomes a human being in, for the purpose of suffering death. What did Jesus do? Jesus took on humanity. He now has a body, as it were, when he was born. He now has a body as he's a man walking on this earth. He has a body. And that body could and did die. He has a body, the, the eternal son of God, who is billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of years old because he never had a beginning because he was with God and is God. He takes on a body that can die. He took on a body and he entered into the realm of sin, the rulership of sin, the rulership of death. He enters into that. That'd be like you going into the war zone right now in eastern Ukraine that's under Russian captivity and willingly going in there into that mess. That's what Jesus did. He, he, came, in, he came into the realm of sin. He was a human being. He could be tempted to sin. 
He never sinned. He overcame every single temptation, but he was tempted to sin. Other people who sinned, sinned at him. He was sinned against. He was attacked by Satan. He was threatened with death. At one point, they were going to throw him down a cliff, for goodness sakes. He came into this realm, and what he did was he took our sin and guilt upon himself. He was perfectly sinless. He lived an absolutely perfectly sinless life. And as our Adam, he took the sin, our sin, upon himself. He took our guilt, he took our sin, and he died as a sacrifice for our sin. He sacrificed himself for our sin. He died for that. Look at chapter 6, verses 7. It says this, For he who died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Jesus dies as a sacrifice for our sin. And once he died, once Jesus was dead and they put him in a tomb, his relationship with the dominion of sin, the dominion of Satan, his relationship with that was over. Death ends all obligation. It changes. We're, we're out of the realm. A man could have bills. A man could have taxes due. A man could have all kinds of insurance bills due. He might have contracts that he's fulfilled, responsibilities that he has, liabilities that he has. But once he dies, that's all over. No, no bill collector can collect off him. He's dead. All of his responsibilities are done. He's done. He's gone. And when Jesus died, it ended this dominion of sin and death. But he's in the tomb. He's dead. If you were sitting in that tomb where Jesus was, you'd be weirded out a little bit. It'd be like you, this big stone sitting there with a dead body for three days. You couldn't sleep. Dead bodies, they, they, they scare us. Why they scare? They shouldn't scare us all. They're dead, but they do. Because it's so unnatural. It's so, it's, so, it's so scary. And then all of a sudden, he sat up. He stood up. As if he was never dead. He just stood up. He stood up by the power of God the Father. He stood up. The Bible says that, the, that God the Father raised him from the dead. He stood up by his own power. He says, I, I have the authority to lay down my life and I have the authority to take it up again. I'll destroy this temple in three days I'll rise it up. He rose up by his own power. And the book of Hebrews says that he rose up by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was involved in this amazing thing. But this dead man stood up. Death couldn't hold him. Death was powerless to hold him. Death's job right there was to grind him into mold and, and, and mildew and, and rot and then grind him into, into dust and then completely destroy him. And death couldn't hold him. Death couldn't hold him. Why? Because there's a power here that is greater than death. Look at chapter 6 and verse 10. It says this. It says, for the death that he died, he died to sin once but for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. He is alive. He is alive. Look at verse 9. Death no longer has dominion over him. And so he rises up from the dead. He rises up and that begins the reign of life. That begins the reign of grace. 
That begins the restoration of the world. Jesus, for, for 40 days, there was a transition period. There was a transition period for 40 days. He appeared, he appeared, and he appeared, he appeared as his, so that his disciples could see it was really him. That day, he appeared with them. He said, here, give me something to eat. I want to show you. I'm not a ghost. I'm going to eat. Give me a, touch, touch my hand. Go ahead. Here, look at the hole on my side. Here, go ahead. Put your hand in there if you want. It's me. I'm alive. It's me. I'm alive. There was this transition. He was meeting with his apostles, and then he ascends into heaven. And as he ascends into heaven, he is glorified. God grants him glory. God glorifies his human body. He's still a human body. He's still both God and man, but he is now enthroned at the highest place of majesty, glorified. He is a glorious being. And the next time he appears is Acts chapter 9. When Saul of Tarsus is riding to Damascus and he sees this bright light that throws him to the ground and blinds him. That's the glory of the resurrected Christ. And then he's seen again in Revelation chapter 1 when John, his closest friend on earth, sees him, turns around and sees him. And when he sees him, he passes out as if he's dead. And Jesus has to revive him. And he talks about his glory, his face shining like the sun, his hair beaming, and, and, and all of the glory and power that he sees him. And that's who he is right now. Jesus Christ has been raised up and he's glorious. Death has no power over him now. He's been alive in his glorified human body for 2,000 years. He's never gotten tired. He's never gotten sick. He's never gotten weak. He's never grown old. He's alive now. Whereas when he was, when he was arrested, the, the Roman soldiers punched him. They try to punch him now. It'd be like punching a brick wall. They'd smash their hands. They whipped him with these whips. Try to whip him now. It'd be like whipping titanium submarine. It'd be nothing. Try putting a crown of thorns on his head now. They'll just shatter. Try killing him now. It's impossible. He has taken dominion over death. He is alive. He is imperishable. He is indestructible. He is a living, glorified human being. And with his death, he begins to reverse the score. It's 100 billion to one right now, but he's going to reverse that score. He's going to bring to glorified being and glorified humanity others with him. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Notice what it says in verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man, Adam, came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. So as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and his job, his goal, his purpose is to end death completely. You say, but wait a minute, we still die. Wait, we still die. Yes, we do still die because there's an order here. There's an order here. Look at verse 23, but each in his own order. We're going to get back to that. What's the order? The order is this, why do I still die? If I'm a Christian, why do I still die? Is Well, it's easy. Look at this body. Look at your body. Where'd you get this body? Is this the body Jesus is going to give you? No. You got this body from Adam. You got this body from Adam. This body is under the curse of death. This Adam body that you got. In fact, notice how verse chapter 15 deals with this. Look at verse 45. 
It says this, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is Lord of heaven. As the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also shall bear the image of the heavenly being. Remember, remember the book of Genesis? God takes some dirt and some dust and mud and he forms a man. You got this nice man statue there. And then God breathes into it and he comes alive. And so what is Adam? Adam is dust man. He's dirt man. He's mud man. And that's what this body is. And that's why this body, when it dies, goes back to dust. Goes back to dust. Dust man. First, we must bear the image of dust man, dirt man. But then we will bear the image of heavenly man. Then we will bear the image of Holy Spirit man. That's what the word spiritual means. Then we will bear his image. You see, dear friends, Jesus Christ's resurrection guarantees your resurrection. It guarantees it. Again, look at verse 22. As in Adam, all die. Adam, I am in Adam, and I am going to die. Unless the Lord Jesus returns in my lifetime, I am going to die. And why am I going to die? The moment that Adam picked that fruit and disobedience to God and ate it, he sealed my death. My death was sealed by what Adam did. In Adam, all die, all of us. In fact, when he ate that fruit, he sealed the death of all of us. That's what he did. Eve ate the fruit before him, but she wasn't the type of the Christ who is to come. Eve gave the fruit to Adam. Then he ate the fruit. But the minute that Adam ate the fruit, the race for which he was the head of was immediately plunged into death. And that moment when he bit into that piece of fruit, he sealed all of our deaths. Dear friends, notice the next half of the verse. Verse 21. It's, I'm sorry, verse 22. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. Dear friends, the minute that that dead, cold, lifeless body of Jesus sat up and stood up and was alive, at that moment, our resurrection became inevitable as well. At that moment, he sealed our resurrection you see, Jesus at that moment, just like Adam, eating that fruit set into motion that which would eventually lead to the death of 100 billion people and more. The moment that Jesus rose from the dead, he set into motion all of the things that will take place that will lead to our resurrection itself. Not only that, the future salvation of the world. Not only that, the redemption of the world. The restoration of the entire universe. The moment Jesus stood up, our resurrection was sealed. It was going to happen. As in Adam, all die. Even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. Why? How do we know that for sure? Well, look at this. Christ is called the first fruits. Look at verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
He's the first fruit. Look at verse 22. I'm sorry, verse 23. But each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, and afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to the Father, when he has put an end to all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Christ is the first fruit. Now think about this. A farmer decides, a far, a far, out on a farm somewhere, they decide they're going to put in a strawberry patch. Okay, We're going to put in a strawberry patch. And so what does that mean? That means you get the rototiller out and you rototill the ground. Till it's nice and soft, get all the weeds, all the rocks out, rotate till the ground. Get your strawberry plants, put your strawberry plants in the ground, okay? Water them, water them. Just make sure no, no vermin, no vermins eat it. Weed it, weed it, weed it. Mulch it, mulch it, mulch it, mulch it. And then you see these little blossoms come. You start to get excited, you got these little blossoms coming. And then, and then under those little blossoms, these little, little green strawberries. Getting excited. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And one day, the farmer comes walking into the kitchen to his wife with a beautiful, fresh, ripe, red strawberry. First one from the patch. He picks it up and he brings it into her. On his way in, he tastes it. He says, wow, is that sweet? Oh, these are great. He takes it into his wife. He says, look at this. And she says, is that the first strawberry? Yeah, that's the first strawberry. Taste it, taste it. She said, oh. And they start celebrating. Why? Because they're thinking strawberry shortcake with lots of whipped cream. They're thinking strawberry jam. They're thinking strawberry sundaes. Why? They've got a fresh strawberry. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And that's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ is. He is the glorified first fruit. It's all coming from this. It's going to be inevitable. Gra the grave has been opened. Our graves will be opened. It is going to be this immense, glorious revival, a, a resurrection of people who are going to be glorified as glorified as he is. And that's why in Revelation chapter 3, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes this, for our citizenship is in heaven now. We're citizenship is heaven now. From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body Body, the Adam mud body, that it might be conformed to his glorious body. Just as Jesus, whole, a human body, all beaten up, all kinds of holes from, from the, uh, the, the crown of thorns upon him, holes in his side, bloody and bruised, he was glorified into this glorious being that people almost die. They, followed, they almost fall to their feet dead at his feet. He said, and that's what he's saying, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. That's what it's going to be like. Dear friend, if, 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 the, if, it, if, it could, if it would happen this way, it's not going to happen this way, but if it could, the way it's going to happen is Jesus is going to come and all of a sudden wherever you are buried or I'm buried, but just imagine you're at a cemetery, and, and there's a guy there, and he's mowing the lawn. And all of a sudden, your grave is right there. You've been dead 100 years. Pow! This glorious being comes out, shining like Jesus, sharing in his glory. The man is going to pass out. 
He's going to be laying there in the ground just absolutely in shock. Lawnmower just humming away. And there you are standing there in your glory. This is what the Bible says is going to happen. We are going to share because of his resurrection. Well, guess what, dear friends? Wait a minute. There's more. The resurrection, in one sense, has already started in your life. Not only do we have the promise that Jesus is the first fruit, we also have this promise. The resurrection has already been starting in your life. It's already been inaugurated in your life. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul prays for the Christians, and he says this. This is my prayer for you, Ephesians. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 1. This is my prayer for you, Ephesians. That, and part of it is this. Then what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? He wants them to know this power. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Resurrection power, Paul says, is in you and working in you. And I want you to know the resurrection power that is working in you. What is this resurrection power? It's the new life that we have in Christ. Back in Romans chapter 6, Paul says this. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 2. He says this. He asks the question in verse 1, shall we sin that grace may abound? And he says this, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? We're already dead to the realm of sin, he's saying. Verse 3, or do you not know that as many as you were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? This is what your baptism symbolized. Therefore, you were buried with him through baptism into death, and that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Resurrection life should be working and pulsating through us right now. The same life that raised Jesus up from the dead is the same life that is in work at work within us now. Look at verse 11. He says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dear friends, do you have the resurrection power of life living in you now? Are you a new person? Have you been made new? Have you come alive? Do you see God differently now than you did in the past? Do you, do you, do you, do you see life differently now? Do you see sin differently now? Do you see Christ differently now? Has, has it come alive to you? Has the Bible come alive to you? Are you different? At one time, were you indifferent to God? And now you love him. What happened? Resurrection power. At one time, was Christ a swear word for you? And that's about it. And now he's your Lord. What happened? Resurrection power happened. At one time, was the Bible boring to you? And now you can't get enough of it. What happened? Resurrection power is at work in your life. At what time in your life did you have sin and you just followed sin and you loved your sin and you did your sin and, and you didn't even think about sin? And now you hate your sin. What happened? Resurrection power came into your life. Do you see the world differently? Do you see life differently now? Because you've been born again. Unless a man is born again, he can't see the kingdom. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Resurrection power, the exact same power that raised up Jesus from the dead and inaugurated a new age, the reign of grace, the reign of life, the reign of power, the reign of holiness, the reign of the new kingdom. That reign began the moment Jesus stood up in that tomb. And that's at work in us now. And our new bodies will just be the consummation of what has already been inaugurated within us. Do you have friends who 
can't figure out what's going on in your life, why these changes are happening in your life, that's because your dear friends are still dead. They're still under the reign of sin. They're still under the reign of death. They're still dead. But God has worked in your life. And that's resurrection power. What are the practical outworkings of this? One is, see yourself for who you are. See what Christ has done to you and for you. See your new identity. Look at chapter 6, verse 17. But God be thanked and through you, that through you, that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed the truth from the heart, that form of doctrine which you were, to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you have become the slaves of righteousness. You are now the servants, as it were, of a new kingdom, the kingdom of righteousness. Know who you are. That's why Paul can say in verse 2, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? That's why Paul says at the end of verse 4 that we should walk in newness of life. That's who we are. And that's why again in verse 11 he says, Consider, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Live out, be who you are called to be. And then he says this, don't go back to slavery. Don't offer yourselves back to slavery. Don't say to sin here, I want to be your servant again. I want sin, you to be Lord over my life. Sin, you be Lord over my life. You say, who in the world would do that? We do it all the time. Well, we hopefully don't do it all the time, but we certainly shouldn't do it. But whenever you watch that TV show that you know you shouldn't watch because of its effect and its themes and its effect on your heart, or, or watch pornography for that matter, what are you doing? You're saying, I want to be a slave to you again, sin. I want you to be Lord over my life, not Jesus. When you join in that gossip where other people are slandering people, when you join into the filthy language at work, when you join into the immense self-hatred that's going on and hating other people in our culture today, when you give in to the anger and the malice that is driving so much of the world today, when you give in to your own pride, when we give in to our greed, we're just saying to sin here, we want you to be Lord of our lives again. And that's why Paul says, do not do that. Look at verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. And do not, verse 13, present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Here, sin, use me. Here, Lord, sin, use me. No, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. You're resurrected people now. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You've been born again. You've been born into the kingdom. Say, God, here I am. Use me. Take me. I offer myself as a slave to you for your good, for your kingdom, for your glory. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law. But under grace, know who you are. Know who you are. And then live out that freedom. Live out that freedom. Maybe you're here today and you've not been born again. You're not a new creature in Christ. If you have not been born again, if you are not a new creature in Christ, you are a slave. You are a powerless slave under the rulership of sin and Satan and death. 
and the wages of sin is death and you will perish eternally because you are a slave. You say, no way, preacher. No way, I'm not a slave. You guys are slaves. You're slaves to Lord Jesus. You're slaves to the Bible. You're slaves to a, a holy God. I'm not a slave. Not me. I'm free. I'm free to live my life the way I want. I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm free. I'm autonomous. I make my own decisions. I decide who I am. I do whatever I want. I'm free. Dear friends, you know what that's called? That's called Satan's perfect slavery. It's a slavery where the slave thinks he or she is free. And we see it around us all the time. How come all of these liberated free people are struggling so much with anxiety that we're called the age of anxiety? How come all of these liberated free people are struggling with drug addiction and alcohol addiction and prescription drug addiction? How come all of these free and liberated people, these free and liberated people are, 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 are raising the, the statistics of suicide and killing themselves. How come these free and liberated people are men one day and then women another day, then men then, and then women another day, and then have these surgeries and then, and then regret it and then live every day, as I heard one say recently, I think about suicide daily. What kind of freedom is that? You're not free, you're a slave of sin. You're a slave of sin. You're a slave of Satan. And you've been deceived and lied to. And that's why you're unhappy. And that's why every attempt for happiness is, draw, is coming up empty. You're a slave. You're a slave. You're a slave. But here's the good news. There is a man who is alive today named Jesus Christ. And he is God. And he is at the right hand of the throne of his father. And he offers salvation to you. He offers to free you. He offers to deliver you. He offers to give you new life. He offers to, to, to take every sin that you have committed and wash it clean with his blood so that it will be completely acquitted and you will never ever be held accountable for that or be guilty before God with that because he has taken the punishment. He is offering to cleanse and wash you of all of your sins and, and give you a completely clear slate with God. Gone. Well, your sin gone. And he's offering to give you a new heart, a new life, and give you a spirit, and give you his righteousness. And he's offering to, 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 to give you resurrection life so that power will begin to flow through your life. Change will begin to happen in your life. Transformation will begin to happen in your life. And you can talk to people around here because I guarantee you, you look back a year or two and say, I don't even know what I was like. I don't even remember that guy back there. The resurrection power of Christ. And then he offers you victory over the grave so that you can look death in the face and say, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, yeah, you can take this Adam mud body. You can take it because then I will instantly be in the presence of Christ and that will be a gain to me. And then I will wait for that glorious day when my body will be glorified like his own and I will dwell and live with him forever. See, death, Jesus has come to destroy death completely. How do you do that? Raise up 
a whole army of people who have his resurrected glory and power and bodies who are indestructible and death is absolutely powerless. Can do nothing. Ceases to exist. Oh dear ones, that's what Jesus offers a simple group of people in West Salem Township today. Everlasting life. Brace, come to him, embrace him. Find life and power. And then you'll be able to say, as we're about to sing, it is not death to die. It is not death to die. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we know that you did not come just so we could have one day where we eat candy. one day where we give baskets. You came to change the realm. You came to change and end the realm of sin and death. You came to inaugurate a kingdom. And as our first fruit, you were at the right hand of the Father, glorified in heaven, the praise of angels. And you are what we will become. We will become the glorified children of God. We will never be God like you, but we will be the children, the adopted children, and our bodies alone, our eternal bodies, in a new heavens and new earth. And it all began when you stood up in that tomb. Thank you that you have the power over death. Thank you that death was powerless to hold you. Thank you, you, the one who had the power over death, you who are life came into this realm of sin and death, took on a body and died for us and then defeated death for us. Thank you that you are our Savior. Thank you that we know you. Thank you that you have come into our lives. Thank you that you brought resurrection power and opened our eyes. Thank you that you made us believers and followers of you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that we live in grace. Thank you that we stand in grace. Thank you for all that you've done. We praise you. Help us to live as resurrected saints, as people who have died to sin and live to you. Help us even this week to live to you and not to sin. And Lord, we ask you, we want you to come back. We wish you'd come back today and transform our bodies instantly. We wouldn't even have to go through death. But Lord, we also think about those loved ones of ours who are under the reign and realm of sin and death. And we ask that you will save them. We pray that you open their eyes. We pray that you'll have mercy. Our unsaved loved ones, our friends, this sad, broken world. We think of those who will die today in, in war in, 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 in the Ukraine, in war in Burma. Those who will die today and go to a Christless eternity. Oh, Father, please send your spirit. Send your spirit. Send revival. Open the eyes of the blind. Lift them from the spiritual death. Give them spiritual resurrection so that they can say with us, death is gain. It's lost its sting. Help us, we pray. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.